Say, could you uh, catch the phone? You ever said that? Ever had somebody say that to you and you go and pick up the phone and, and you wait to see who's on the other end and what's going on? Today, we're beginning a sermon series entitled Catching the Call. Catching the Call. The call of God is for all. Now, clergy are called in a particular way. And once they receive a call from a local church, they're ordained. And that calling, that ordination is for life. But for lay people, for all of you, the call of God is just as real and just as important. The word call or calling comes from the root Latin, vocare. It means to call. We all have a vocation, that to which we're called in life. Some are poets, some are painters, some are artists, musicians, some are workers in particular places. We talked about it in our dedication this morning. Our teachers are what? They're called to teach. They're called to teach. Some are called to medicine. Some are called to law. We're called to different aspects of how we share our gifts in life. We don't all have the same gifts, and so matching our gifts with what we can do to express those gifts in the world is discovering our call. And then there's what's called avocation. It's like a vocation, only it's, it's secondary. And so we have many different roles, husband, wife, parent, child, all these different roles that come to us in life, ways that we're called to be. And then we have those things that we choose to be. And one of those, whether it's vocation or avocation, is to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, and not just in name only but to make up our minds that that's what we're going to do. That's who we're going to be, and that's how we're going to express ourselves in the world. Now, as an ordained minister, I think back to when I was called, and I felt called by God to go into the ministry and dedicate my life to this work. It was a call that came slowly over time. I didn't have any visions in the night. It was just a very slow process. Seeds had been planted in me by other Christians, and I caught their sense of vitality and the importance to want to serve others, and finally that call took root, and I followed that path. But you know, every day I get up in the morning and I realize it's a new day, and I have to respond to the call to live this day as fully as I can, as a person seeking to follow in the way of Christ. So every day, in a sense, is a renewed sense of calling. But then every now and then, we have times when the call is very strong. There's something we just need to do. And that's what I'm hoping we're going to sense this fall as we explore this series called Catching the Call, that you will discover what it is that you need to be doing with your life and how you can share your gifts as part of God's call and claim in your life. And that's an important part of the process. 
There's a direct correlation between our minds and our lives. If our minds are empty, well, then our lives and our living is probably going to be pretty empty, too. Now, having had a parent with Alzheimer's, I can tell you that it is a very sad and insidious disease when a person loses more and more of themselves as time goes on. The life processes of one of growing and learning and having more wisdom and insight and maturity in life. But this disease reverses that process and leaves a person empty. But even more tragic than that is the person who has a good mind and doesn't use it. The choice is ours, and we can deny utilizing the gift. Another mistake is thinking you already know most of the things that you need to know in life, and so your quest for learning is minimalized to meaninglessness. Too certain about too many things too early in life. Impatience can get us to settle for things in our minds too early, and then we just kind of cruise through life on autopilot. We are so used to so much stimulation and so many things coming to us that we seem to have lost the ability to linger over an evocative image or wonderful insight. Alexander Pope said, Some people will never learn anything because they think they understand everything too soon. Or as Henry Ford said, thinking is hard work. That's why so few people engage in it. What resistances do we have for learning and growing? For thinking and pondering and reflecting on the big issues of life? Now, we can feel our head. I'm not going to ask you to feel your head. I don't want to scare our visitors, Um, but we can feel our head. We can talk about our head, but we really can't see. We can't see what's going on in there. Our heads are very important. We need to heed our heads. That's what getting a head start is all about this morning. In a sense, your mind is your world. The French philosopher Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. Your thoughts are the tools you use to carve out your story on the substance of the universe. Your world and worldview are determined in large part by the activity going on in your mind. There's a direct correlation to your life. And what you think. The Danish philosopher and theologian Soren Kierkegaard observed, a life always expresses the result of our dominant thoughts. Feelings are important, but we dare not let our feelings dominate our behavior all the time. For if we do, we will fly off in all sorts of directions as our moods change and shift. Just yesterday, we learned of two more bomb plots in New York City and New Jersey. 
And just last week, we reflected on and remembered the 15th anniversary of 9-11. We cannot let the terrorists have our minds. That's what terrorists want. They want us to totally cave into our feelings, and they don't care what they are, but we dare not give up our minds. Likewise, when it comes to our Christian faith and our Christian life, we dare not cave into emotional religion. And trust me, there's a lot of it out there. There's a lot of religion that's pretty much based all on emotions. I'm not saying that the heart and emotions are not important. They are, and I'm going to preach on that next Sunday with the sermon title, Having a Smart Heart. But religion that, that works people up and plays on their emotions without appealing to their heads is pathetic. Listen again to how Luke concludes his entire gospel. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then here it is. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. He opened, he opened their minds. When was the last time the Lord truly opened your mind? Not to simply think your own thoughts, but to think from a broad faith orientation and to think as Jesus thought. Michael read it. We didn't compare notes ahead of time. He read that passage from Philippians. Paul prompts us. He says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. And let each of you look not to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Jesus Christ. And as we know, we can't completely have that. But isn't that part of our goal as followers of Christ is to catch something of the mind of Jesus? Not the complete mind of Jesus. We can never know the mind of another person. But to catch something of the mind, the thoughts, the orientation, the perspective of Jesus. We are not to have any ambition for ourselves, to think for our, of ourselves, to be selfish. But, you know, we do. That's human nature. Trying to have the mind of Christ is an awesome thing. And it's part of getting a head start. We are trying to catch the call anew this fall. And during these weeks of moving into the fall schedule, I believe it's time for each of us to discern the call and claim of God in our lives. No one listening 
is exempt. I can't make that happen for you, but I certainly want to encourage it. Catching the call. It first must be heard or it falls on deaf ears. And to hear it, we must continually do all we can to align our minds with the mind of Christ. What St. Augustine called the duty of the preacher is the call of all. He said to teach what is right and to refute what is wrong. And in the performance of this task, to conciliate the hostile and to rouse the careless. But conciliation with the hostile, that's a huge order, isn't it? When you think of it in the national scene, when you think of it here locally, and when you think of it in your interpersonal life, it's a hard thing. But what would the mind of Christ say to us today? For he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he suffered on the cross and said that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. That is not an easy process in a world that wants to keep score and retaliate. But I'm not making it up. Having the mind of Christ in this deeper way is one of the most challenging things in the world. Yet, it's part of our calling. Listen to Paul in our other passage that Lois read for us. And I'm picking it up after he said, Who can know the mind of God? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your lives as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing, the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and whole. That's discerning the call. What is God calling you to do with your life? No one can answer that but you. I can't answer it. Michael can't answer it. You have to discern that if you choose. That's part of catching the call. We're told to use our minds and our intellect, our reason in making a decision to act on behalf of God in the world. And last week we examined God's goodness and we celebrated that as we looked at what God has done for us. God acted in creation. God acted throughout biblical history. God acted in Christ. God acted in the early church. God has acted in this church over its long and wonderful history. And God acts in each of our lives And for God's goodness, we give thanks. And so now the task for each and every one of us is to determine in tangible ways how we will act on behalf of God back to the world. And as this fall season unfolds, there will be specific opportunities given to each of us. Some of the things we're planning in the church are more ways to get involved with hands-on mission projects. There are some very exciting 
educational opportunities for adults, for all of you, that will be unfolding in the next few weeks as we let those be known to the congregation. And they're very exciting, and you can participate in those. It's part of catching the call. And today we're getting a head start. Then he opened their minds to understand scriptures that the Christ suffers and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed to all the nations. Be of the same mind, says Paul. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others better than yourselves. Look beyond your own interests. Let the same mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern the call of God in your life. We need to heed the head. We need to heed the head. Catching the call anew this fall. It begins for each one of us by getting a head start. So, Let's get a head start, and let's go. Amen.